Since the birth of my first child, I've become impassioned with sharing knowledge and learnings with expecting moms. Maternal health and wellness is so integral and yet so unspoken in our society. Many of the first-time moms I've had the pleasure of speaking to will say, I wish someone had told me, or I wish I had known. This podcast highlights the stories of moms and brings experts and diverse perspectives in the hopes that our future moms will walk into motherhood with more confidence and support. Thanks for joining us on Ama Need a Minute to celebrate, commiserate, learn from each other, and build a new kind of community. Welcome back to another episode of Ama Need a Minute. I'm your host, Margaret, and today we're talking about a very sensitive topic that comes up during family and life planning, fertility. Whether you're in a committed relationship or single, if you're a woman who knows she wants to have a family at some point, this has probably crossed your mind. And you've likely heard the term, the clock is ticking, when it comes to your egg count. Today, the average age of U.S. first-time mothers is 30, while only four years ago, it was 26. One major reason for this shift is career-oriented. Women are moving up the ranks and don't want to step away from their jobs to start a family. You know, cue female guilt and societal pressures. The cost of childcare is also astronomical in so many places, my area included. And while people are delaying retirement, not everyone has a doting grandparent who can help when parents need to go back to work. So what's this impact of this four-year shift in average age for first-time mothers? And what can we as individuals do if we find ourselves in this situation? Here with me today is Sonia Yi, our Chief Health Officer. Sonia studied at Harvard Medical School and is currently completing her residency in San Diego. Sonia, thank you so much for being with us today to discuss this important topic. Can you shed some light on the impact of this delay in first-time mothers giving birth? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Margaret. I am excited to talk about this topic near and dear to all of our hearts because a lot of us are, like you said, career-oriented, trying to delay childbearing until later. I think it's a big misconception that people are like, my eggs are dying as they get older. We are born with all the eggs we'll ever have, and we have hundreds of thousands of eggs. But the main issue with age is that as we get older, the quality of those eggs kind of starts to go down. We tend to get more errors in DNA and the chromosomes and the way they line up. So when we get older, it is a little bit harder to have a successful pregnancy kind of because of those DNA changes. We start to see that big change in the quality of those eggs around the age of 37, 38. And that does make it harder to have a successful pregnancy. There are some other things that play into it too. As we get older, we just collect more healthcare issues. I don't know about you, but Mm -hmm. approaching my 30s, having more and more low back pain. Mm -hmm. There are things like high blood pressure, obesity, other things that just come with getting older for a lot of people. There are also some OBGYN related issues that can affect fertility that we see more commonly in older women or that come up a little bit later in life. We're sitting fibroids. Things Mm -hmm. like PCOS, which might affect us when we're younger, but we don't necessarily realize it. And Mm -hmm. when people are finding these issues a little bit later in life, it feels like sometimes more of a struggle to get pregnant. What is PCOS? Because I've recently seen a lot of that on TikTok, Mm -hmm. not that I get all my information there, but I started seeing it and I was trying to figure out exactly what PCOS is. Yeah, it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's kind of a collection of symptoms that make us think that the ovaries are creating more cysts than we normally expect. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of it on TikTok in terms of things like 
pelvic pain, but also infertility. Yep. Yeah. So mm-hmm. every month our bodies prepare to get pregnant while we're in childbearing age. And so they make all these cysts or follicles that contain eggs. And once your hormone levels reach the appropriate levels, then you release an egg from one of those cysts. People with PCOS make a lot of cysts, but don't necessarily release an egg from them. It's almost like the body's Mm -hmm. hormones are signaling like, I want to ovulate, I want to ovulate, I want to ovulate. So you're making more and more cysts, but then the ovulation itself doesn't necessarily happen. So because Mm -hmm. of kind of all that, people can have issues with infertility people with PCOS Mm -hmm. often have irregular periods or irregular cycles. Mm -hmm. And then also the cysts themselves can be really bothersome to people because their ovaries can be heavy. They can feel Mm -hmm. a sensation of fullness or bloating. They can have painful Mm -hmm. periods. And I think people sometimes find that they don't realize they have PCOS until they start trying to get pregnant and then they have issues. And with the age difference in first-time moms versus even just a few years ago, I know infertility is impacting a roughly 15% of couples Mm -hmm. today. And on top of that, a whole industry has emerged to lend support. So back in the day, and I'm just thinking about like my mom and my aunts, I don't think they had options such as IVF, IUI, even egg freezing for people who are not ready to start a family, but know that they would like to in a few Mm -hmm. years. There's also herbs, acupuncture, medication, so many methods that people are trial and erroring right now for fertility. And some more people-focused employers are starting to offer benefits or subsidies for employees who want to undergo these treatments. So I was pretty pleased to see that my company was offering some money for people who were interested in egg freezing or people who want to try adoption. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty new. I don't remember hearing about that when I first started working. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of employers are really starting to recognize this trade-off of career versus family planning for women and men and seeing that their own population of women are starting to delay having children. Yeah, I think that's really awesome. I'm really excited that it's not just women themselves and feeling empowered to take charge of their own fertility and their own careers, but also that their employers are supporting them. There was actually a New York Times article that came out this past week about interviewing women who froze their eggs and how that was impacted. I think if that's something that people are interested in, they should talk to their doctor. There's definitely pros and cons financially for your health. There's a lot of things to consider. And maybe we can get into that in more detail in a future episode. (laughs) Yeah, I have a few friends who have really shed some light on that experience Mm -hmm. to me. So that's a really good idea for another episode. (laughs) But don't worry for all of you listeners today. We're not here to tell you you need to have your baby today if you're not ready. And if you know me, you know I'm a pretty career-oriented person. So I kind of fell into the group of women who wanted to wait to a certain age so I could feel more established in my career and check off some of the things I wanted to do in my life before having kids. However, given that we're coming into the new year and some of you may be family planning for 2023, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about lifestyle changes you can do today to impact your fertility tomorrow. Have you seen cases in your line of work where you've seen someone kind of do the 180 in this case of lifestyle and seen some success? Yes, absolutely. I think It's interesting because in residency, we spend some time working in the infertility clinic, and I have seen that referrals to these specialty clinics can take a long time. I had a patient who, in the meantime, I said, you know, while you're waiting for your referral to go in, why don't we focus on a few things in your health? So 
She had some blood pressure issues. She was overweight for her height and age group and had some other healthcare things just to be taken care of. And so I know that weight is a sensitive subject, especially talking to your doctor in some circumstances. We do talk a lot about trying to optimize certain weights for pregnancy. People who are underweight or overweight tend to have higher risk pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So I worked with this specific patient on managing diet, exercise, um, some recommendations for those things. We got her blood pressure under control and a healthy level with some other medications and some additional lifestyle changes. We made sure that she didn't have any sort of infections or anything else that could be affecting her fertility. and. Actually, about one week before her first infertility appointment, she called me to let me know that she was pregnant. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just fun to see how sometimes working on things while we are trying to conceive or start a family for our own health can Mm -hmm. help affect fertility Mm -hmm. as a great bonus. And that's actually something that one of our previous guest moms had mentioned in her fertility journey. She was kind of super stressed out. She was really upset with some of the miscarriages that she had, Mm -hmm. rightfully so, but it was almost like she was in a dark place. And by working on herself, having a different mindset and just enjoying being around people. And I think she played more volleyball and she was just like more active. She was able to conceive naturally after just by, I guess, healing herself inside. Mm -hmm. That kind of brings up a good point. I want to put out as a big disclaimer, though, is that I think it's kind of like how on TikTok or social media now, you just see people saying like, drink more water and your life will be so much better. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great to do diet and exercise and do things that you can control to kind of help optimize your health for pregnancy. But I do want to put out there for all the women, all the people who are trying to start a family that if you feel like you're doing everything right and it's still not happening for you, it's not necessarily your fault. It's not because you failed or aren't doing enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are Mm -hmm. things that are beyond our control that can affect fertility. So I'm glad we have a chance to talk about things that can help improve fertility, but I hope that people out there know that it's okay to cut yourself some slack and if you've done your best, be down on yourself for not drinking enough water or whatever. Sometimes it goes beyond that. Yeah. And thank you so much for saying that because I do feel like I was a little bit in that place myself. Mm -hmm. Every time I got my period, it was kind of like, uh, I just kind of went down on myself. And I do remember an incident where I guess my family members knew I was trying Mm -hmm. and They were kind of almost disappointed that it didn't work out for us. But it was like, well, I'm also disappointed, you know, like, what else can I do at this point, right? And maybe it's not you. I mean, maybe it's your husband. No, (laughs) but yeah, never know truly what the issue is, right? Mm -hmm. So I thank you for mentioning that. So let's talk a little bit about some of the tips that you have. And I want to think of it kind of like in a, I guess, five prong approach. So the things I'm thinking of are physical activity, things that you can do physically, exercise wise, mental health, maybe there's some type of meditation you've heard of, what kind of diet, right, would help with fertility, if there's any supplements that you think would help. And then I guess there's six pillars, actually. <laughs> One being things that we should abstain from. So things you shouldn't do if you're trying to increase fertility. And then what can your partner, male partner, I'm assuming this heterosexual relationship or sperm sponsor do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
So in terms of physical activity, what do you recommend? So the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends about 150 minutes of exercise a week, two of those exercise sessions being weight-bearing. I don't know about you, but as someone who works (laughs) full-time, that seems crazy. (laughs) I'm like 150 and then like seven days a week. Okay, so that's like 20 minutes roughly a day. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that physical activity or exercise includes things like walking, running around with your kids. Mm -hmm just staying active. So I think this is another place where it's don't be too hard on yourself, but physical activity can really help not only improve your fertility outcomes, but also just help with the pregnancy itself too, because you know, you're optimizing Mm -hmm. your body for what is a pretty intensive 10 month process of growing a human. So I think trying to get the exercise in when you can and maximizing like a mix of aerobic and anaerobic activities is the best idea. Why does it need to be weight-bearing for one of the activities? Yeah, so weight-bearing activities can help with a lot of things like muscle and bone health, which will be helpful in the pregnancy itself. I think there's a huge misconception that like exercise is for weight loss, and then there's like a vague idea that it's also helpful for your general health. Exercise, especially a good mix of aerobic and anaerobic, can help with your heart health. It helps with your blood Mm. pressure, just your respiratory health and overall wellness and mental health too, as most people have figured out who exercise regularly. And so I think kind of switching it up with a combination of exercises that help your muscle and bone health and then help your heart and lungs is Mm -hmm. a good idea. And how does that impact fertility? I know obviously blood flow and stuff, Mm -hmm. but is there any specific benefit of physical activity that would help your fertility chances? It's hard to pinpoint exactly why. Well, I love a good cause and effect, but it's the kind of vague answer of just being healthier and overall health improving improves mm-hmm. fertility outcomes. Okay. And so you touched a little bit on mental health mm-hmm. as well. Is there anything that you think would really help with fertility, like any kind of specific practice, if it's yoga or meditation? I think Whatever people do or find helpful to take care of their mental health is important to keep doing and keep on top of. If people find like yoga, mindfulness, meditation to be helpful, that's definitely recommended. Yoga is great because you can continue that throughout your pregnancy too. There's a lot of really great prenatal yoga out there, but it's also important to remember that mental health conditions often require a little bit more or medical help sometimes. And so if, Mm. for example, people are struggling with depression, anxiety, any sort of Mm -hmm. other mental health conditions that they're taking medications for, or Mm. are seeing counseling for, it's important to stay on top of that. Pregnancy Mm. and fertility journey can be very stressful for a lot of reasons. And then you add on like the hormonal changes to it. And so optimizing your mental health as you're trying to get pregnant can be Mm. helpful, not only if you're struggling with fertility and have the emotions related to that, but also in the pregnancy itself. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's medications that people are using for mental health that could impact fertility? We don't necessarily see medications impacting fertility. You will sometimes see psychiatrists or other mental health providers stop certain medications because they're worried that if you get pregnant, that this could affect the fetus. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. can touch a little bit more on medications in general, but 
That is true. There are some medications that can affect fetal growth, fetal development. And so if you're even Mm -hmm. trying to get pregnant, sometimes mental health providers will stop those medications. In general, a lot of the really popular medications though that are used, Zoloft, Prozac, these are what are called SSRIs. They are studied very well in pregnancy and are generally considered safe. And it's important for people to remember that the healthiest baby is one that has a healthy mom too. Mm. So mm-hmm. even if there is a slight risk of things like difficulty breathing after birth for babies who have been exposed to Zoloft, for example, the overall picture is we need a healthy, happy mom to have a healthy, successful pregnancy. So mm. if you are thinking about getting pregnant and you are taking one of these medications or you have any mental health concerns that you are talking to or want to talk to a healthcare professional about, I think it's really important to start that conversation with all of your care providers early. Okay. And now my favorite subject, food. So I am a really big proponent of food being medicine. Mm -hmm. I don't know when this shift happened in my life, but I think for me, I had like gut issues early on. Mm -hmm. I feel like that education wasn't there for me growing up, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You just kind of ate whatever you ate as a kid and in college. So it wasn't until later in my years that I was like, wow, this is like really impacting my acne, everything. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know besides the food pyramid, having a balanced diet, is there anything specific that you think people could eat to increase their chances of fertility? I love this question. I would never claim to be an expert on food besides I love eating it as well. But um, (laughs) I think that you actually kind of hit the nail on the head, though, that having a healthy, balanced diet and making sure that you have a good balance in terms of like grains, vegetables, fruits, making sure you're getting all your vitamins and minerals in is the best thing you can do for your own fertility. You will see things online. You'll always hear brands of eating this helps improve fertility or eating that helps improve fertility. I haven't really seen any convincing studies about that, but I think that, Mm. you know, if you like to eat it and it brings you joy, then why not? You know? So I think the most important thing is to make sure that you practice healthy eating in terms of like reducing heavy carbohydrate intake. I can Mm -hmm. help improve outcomes. I think if you have any other medical conditions and you're on, for example, like a keto diet or any other diet for your cardiovascular health, that to keep maintaining those diets. But I would say that pregnancy, fertility, all these things can be kind of a long journey. So enjoy what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And try to keep it balanced, but I haven't really heard of anything specifically that improves fertility. If you find something, I would love to know. So I have heard, Mm -hmm. and I guess I have a few friends who have attest to this, that if the male has ginseng, it helps. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But in both, in the two scenarios I can think of, it did. Mm -hmm. And then for women, I think, I don't know if this is super related, but I do feel like I've heard dates, like date tea, like Mm -hmm. dates in general help with uterine health. So that could help with fertility. But these are all like speculations, like I said, (laughs) kind of old wives tales, I guess. But I guess people are just willing to try whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of diet, I think it is important that when you do get pregnant, that you kind of lean into specific foods. Mm -hmm. For me, I generally have always been like borderline anemic. Mm -hmm. And so when I was pregnant, 
when I hit the third trimester, my doctor was like, you need to start taking some iron supplements. And I was like, oh no, this whole time I've been malnourishing my child with iron, not giving enough iron to my fetus. So I was really keen on that when I had my second kid, because I knew that that's something I just don't get enough of regularly. And so when I was pregnant, I made sure to do that. I also had like the flaxseed, the Mm -hmm. DHA stuff. That was all stuff that I intentionally shoved into my diet when I was pregnant. I guess we're talking about fertility today, so not the same thing, but I feel like I also just started taking prenatals when I was trying just because I was like, well, in case it happens, I want to be at a hundred percent already for (laughs) the baby that is showing up, you know? (laughs) So I don't know if you feel that way. Like if you've given advice to your patients to take prenatals before they're pregnant, or if that's just a waste of prenatals. (laughs) That's Great point. And with the iron, we'll circle back to that too with prenatals. I tell pretty much any woman of childbearing age, especially if they're not on birth control, that they should be taking prenatal vitamins. There's a couple of reasons for that. One, you know, multivitamins, which is essentially what a prenatal is, can provide a lot of benefits for other reasons. But also, when we think about when a fetus is growing, the organ development kind of happens in the first two to three months of pregnancy. Mm. Mm-hmm. The first month of pregnancy is so when you miss that first period, you're already at four weeks. Right. So yeah, I don't think people necessarily realize that. So if you take a pregnancy test like two weeks later, you're already six weeks pregnant and things are already right. happening. Right. So a lot of women don't know that they're pregnant until like six, eight weeks, mm-hmm. totally normal. Mm-hmm. But the organ development's already happening and it requires this building block um, supplement called mm-hmm. folic acid. Mm-hmm. We don't get a ton of folic acid from our diet, most Americans. And so you need even more in pregnancy because it's a building block for these babies. And so prenatal vitamins have that. And that's why I recommend that everyone who has the capacity to get pregnant should be considering or taking a prenatal vitamin so that once you find out you're pregnant, regardless of what you decide to do with the pregnancy, at least that fetus has been seeing that extra folic acid the entire time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely wasted a lot of bottles. <laughs> not pregnant. <laughs> yeah, they're not fun. I mean, I know the ones that we give out at my hospital have they're huge and yeah, no one <laughs> likes them. Multivitamins and and prenatals a lot of times cause nausea too. I know I found that out from personal. I was telling everyone to take a prenatal vitamin, and I was like, I should start taking one. And then I was, why am I nauseous every morning? <laughs> So take it with food. But the other thing that is important that is in prenatal vitamins is iron. Because as you already alluded to, anemia or like low blood count is a fairly common issue in pregnancy. Because yeah, you're trying to grow a human being. And also you have your blood flow kind of changes and can Mm -hmm. dilute in a sense. And so People have low blood counts during pregnancy. And so to kind of optimize your chances going into pregnancy or um, for fertility, Mm -hmm. taking something with iron is usually good. Prenatal vitamins have iron most of the time. I think some of the gummy brands don't, which is unfortunate because those vitamins are so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you are taking any sort of prenatal vitamin, make sure you look at the label for the folic acid in the iron or Mm. talk to your doctor about supplementing one of those if you need extra supplementation or your prenatal vitamin doesn't have that. 
Yeah, it was weird. I feel like the one I picked up didn't have the iron for whatever reason. And then there were specific ones that said prenatal plus iron plus DHA. And I was like, okay, why not just make one version? (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) just to add more confusion to pregnant women, Mm -hmm. are there any other supplements you would suggest besides the prenatals, the iron, folic, like any other things that people can sprinkle onto their food or it's a drink? I think just making sure you have a healthy balance. I know this is such a cop-out answer, but it's kind of the answer for everything is taking care of your own health the way that you normally would. So maybe the only other thing I'd consider adding maybe is like vitamin D supplementation or calcium. Mm -hmm. We know that pregnancy can negatively affect your bone health down the line. And so Mm -hmm. kind of being preemptive about that, especially if you live in a place that's kind of cloudy and you aren't getting your vitamin D from the sun or you're wearing your good sunblock like most of us are. So I think that's like the only other thing I would consider adding. Yeah. So pretty much the baby is like sucking the life out of you, sucking the nutrients from you. Yeah. We love them, but they're little parasites. (laughs) Oh gosh. And then the vitamin D was a good call too, because when you breastfeed, you have to give your baby Mm -hmm. vitamin D supplements, Mm -hmm. like in a drop. And it's because we don't get enough, I guess, to pass through in breast milk Mm -hmm. for the baby to have enough. And you don't want to put your baby in the sun too much when they're just young, because (laughs) they'll burn. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) really, honestly, humans are like the only species with babies that are completely helpless yeah if you think about it right like the fact that it takes them a year to like mammals stand up seeds yeah fish anything (laughs) they can survive out the bat or you can like have them in an egg and they'll hatch and move on but humans are like completely useless the first year seriously so anyway so (laughs) so we talked about things to add things to keep in mind is there anything that people should abstain from yes Just like we talk about optimizing regular health, we see that things like excessive alcohol use, smoking, the use of other illicit substances, sorry, I hate, you know what I mean, um, other drugs, cocaine, opioids, things like that can affect fertility. I think those are the big obvious things. Something that I think people have a lot of questions about, especially recently, is vaccines. There are some vaccines that we actually don't recommend if you are trying to get pregnant. And that would be things like rubella or some of these, what we call live attenuated vaccines, which are Mm. a weak version of the virus that helps our body build antibodies because Mm. any potential pregnancy has little to no protection against that at the time of the vaccine. That being Mm. said, other vaccines, everyone's asking about the COVID vaccine, they work differently and basically don't have the risk of the virus itself affecting the fetus. And instead, Mm -hmm. we actually recommend vaccine schedule during pregnancy with like Tdap. And then um, if Mm -hmm. you need to get your COVID vaccine, you should get it because these vaccines can create antibodies in the mom that travel through the placenta and protect baby. So we've Mm -hmm. often seen that babies can get a little extra protection from mom, especially before they're able to Mm -hmm. get the vaccine themselves um, because Mm -hmm. of their little useless baby immune systems. So should you wait to get those vaccines so that the effects of those antibodies are still really prevalent when they're born? 
Yes, it depends. So the Tdap vaccine, we don't recommend until 28 weeks for that very reason. Mm -hmm. So for example, something like COVID, we know that having COVID in pregnancy can affect your pregnancy outcomes or having moderate to severe COVID. And we know that vaccines reduce reduce the risk of moderate to severe COVID. Mm -hmm. And we're coming out with boosters Mm -hmm. and stuff all the time. So I think that it's very reasonable to get vaccines that can affect your own health closer to the beginning Mm -hmm. of pregnancy Mm -hmm. or before you conceive to make sure that you yourself are healthy for pregnancy and then for it. And so things like MMR, like the measles, mumps, rubella, which is one Mm -hmm. of those vaccines we don't recommend in pregnancy. If you're thinking about getting pregnant, Mm -hmm. you are up to date on that vaccine. That might be a good one to talk to your doctor about. Mm -hmm. Okay. I remember the Tdap. That one is super painful. So (laughs) if you're pregnant and listening to this and you're going into week 28, good luck. Because at that point in pregnancy, you're not supposed to be sleeping on your back. And then when they put the Tdap on your arm, it really hurts. So then you can only sleep on one other shoulder for like three days. So that's not exciting. Anyway, so other things to abstain from include birth control, right? So (laughs) I'd love to know, when do you think people need to stop taking birth control in order to get pregnant? Great question. So before I forget, that brings up a really good point overall about medications. If you're taking medications for like any other reason, and you're trying to get pregnant, please make an appointment with your doctor or your OBGYN about to talk about which things or are not safe in pregnancy or can affect fertility Mm. to make sure we optimize that. But yes, birth control. Mm. Most birth control methods that we have, once you stop taking it, your fertility returns immediately. So Mm -hmm. I know that like, you know, a lot of women have IUDs now, for example, as soon as the IUD comes out, your fertility returns or when, as people know who are on the birth control pill, like even if you miss a couple pills, there's a chance that you could get pregnant. So that return to fertility is pretty immediate. I would say Mm -hmm. if you're planning on getting pregnant or if you're planning on stopping birth control, just know that you could get pregnant that very next cycle. Is there a risk in the hormones of birth control messing with the fetus if you did get pregnant? And let's say you just got off birth control Mm -hmm. and you got pregnant the next month. Is there a risk there? No, we don't think so. Um, Mostly because the birth control hormones that we use are estrogen and progesterone, which are both really important Mm. to maintaining a healthy pregnancy. So Mm. the risk of, for example, IUD failure is super, super low. It's like 0.2% that you can, you'll get pregnant Mm. within the first year on accident. And so I've seen people who are pregnant with an IUD in place I don't want to scare people. That sounds really scary. I have an IUD, but you have to think like as a doctor, we see the rarest of the rare, right? Yeah. Yeah. But those pregnancies can go on, carry to term, healthy pregnancy, no issues. Sometimes we don't even, Mm. we recommend removing the IUD if it's easy, but even if we don't remove the IUD, we see that people have normal, healthy pregnancies with no issues. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have to stop breastfeeding to get pregnant? No, not necessarily. So most moms know that when they are regularly breastfeeding, they are not having periods. It's hard to tell at the beginning because you're just bleeding and cranky and tired and having a horrible time. But (laughs) in theory, it's called lactational amenorrhea. If you're breastfeeding regularly, Mm -hmm. um, it does suppress your fertility. But that requires very regular exclusive breastfeeding and so a lot of moms who are breastfeeding should know that 
it's not a great method of birth control. So you can still get pregnant. And so on the other side, if you are breastfeeding and you're thinking about becoming pregnant, you don't have to stop. Okay. So let's back up because I feel like this was a myth that I couldn't figure Mm -hmm. out if it was true or false, what you just mentioned about the breastfeeding. So let's say you're breastfeeding and when you exclusive, you mean that the baby is only having milk Mm -hmm. or do you mean that the baby is not having food. What do you mean when you say exclusive? Yes. Like the baby is having breast milk and not like a supplementation from other sources. So usually, you know, you start introducing okay. solid foods at okay. like six months. But could you pump? Like pumping is the same thing too, pumping right? Has, in this case. has a similar effect, but okay. there haven't been like very robust studies on pumping versus exclusive breastfeeding. Okay. We just, in general, we say like, if you're breastfeeding, don't rely on it for birth control is kind of the bottom line. Okay. Because you know what's weird? I feel like I got my period after like two months Mm -hmm. of breastfeeding and then it didn't come back. Like my period did not come back after that Mm -hmm. for the rest of the time I was breastfeeding, which is odd because I'm very regular when it comes to Mm -hmm. my cycle. So for it to just show up and then stop for another nine months, I was like, wait, I'm so confused. Am I fertile or am I not fertile right now? Our bodies get really confused with pregnancy and all the hormones. Basically, the prolactin and oxytocin of breastfeeding Mm -hmm. can suppress the prolactin primarily, sorry, can suppress the other hormones that normally regulate our cycles. And so Mm -hmm. it's possible that either in that two-month period you had, or when you had that first period, maybe you weren't breastfeeding as regularly or maybe something like your hormones just did their own thing or something changed. It's hard to tell. And that's why I'm like, if you're breastfeeding, just know you can get pregnant, but it might be harder. So (laughs) it's not a good answer. Okay. Yeah. What does oxytocin do? Does that help with fertility? No, it's mostly just helpful for labor and it's the bonding hormone too. So you release it when you breastfeed. It's funny because I think that not everyone connects that like oxytocin or pitocin that helps with labor contractions is the same hormone as the oxytocin that gets released when you're breastfeeding. But then I think a lot of moms figure it out right after they have a baby and they're breastfeeding and they're like, why is my uterus contracting? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the main use for it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered what you can do to get your body in good shape for conception. How often should people be trying? If they were really actively trying, we wanted to get pregnant in the next few months, how often are they supposed to be trying? Yeah, good question. So we think that people who are having regular unprotected sex for six months, about 50% of those people should get pregnant. And then in the first year, it's about 85% of people. If you've been trying for a year and you're under the age of 35, then that would be more concerning for infertility. And that's when you should definitely Mm. see your doctor. If you've been trying for six months and you're over 35, that's another reason to see your doctor. But for the trying of basically when, how often, when should you be having intercourse? I think it's kind of crazy because I feel like before I looked into this myself, I never learned anything in like sex ed in school or anything about how to get pregnant, which makes sense because you don't want to teach high schoolers like. But at the same time, it's like I unless you seek it out, it's kinda hard to understand your own body. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good point because when we first started family planning, yeah. It was crazy because you are brought up with this idea that you can easily get pregnant, right? Everyone's like, you have to use protection. Don't 
have sex, da da da, abstain yeah. because you will get pregnant. That yeah. was like the thing. You will get pregnant. And so when we're like, okay, we're ready to get pregnant, it's like, wait, it's not happening. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like one, two, three, we're done, right? Because like you just have this idea that as soon as you guys have intercourse unprotected, it's going to happen. Yes. Right? Yes. So <laughs> thank you for bringing that up because it sounds really nice coming from a doctor versus me who has no medical <laughs> knowledge. So <laughs> how often should people be trying should be having intercourse if they were really trying to have kids. yeah so it's there's a little bit of the frequency component but it's a lot more to do with the timing of when in your cycle mm. you should be doing it so there let's say an average length of your period which we i think in colloquial language we say from the time you're bleeding but like really each cycle is from the first day mm-hmm. of your period to the first day of your next period so that's usually about a month or 28 days. Mm-hmm. And so usually in the middle of that cycle, you ovulate and release that egg to try to get pregnant. The phase after you release that egg is called the luteal phase, which is the amount mm-hmm. of time your body like takes to process that you are or are not pregnant and then shed your lining and everything. So that's 14 days in everybody. Mm-hmm. If you track your cycles, you can see when you ovulate by subtracting 14. I think it's like better illustrated with an example. So let's say my periods from the first day of my period to the first day of my next period, first day of my bleed to the next bleed is 32 days. Mm -hmm. If I subtract 14, why did I pick such a hard number to do mental mental health for? Eighteen. Eighteen. Thank you. I swear I graduated from medical school. Um, <laughs> That's okay. You're a medicine and I'm I'm math. It's fine. Perfect. <laughs> so day 18 is when I would ovulate on each cycle if I'm having regular cycles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that is kind of a good number to know. So everyone who's thinking of getting pregnant, I usually advise them to start keeping track of their cycles. There's lots of apps and stuff out there. And some of them will even just tell you when you're ovulating. So you don't have to struggle with simple subtraction like I just did. Mm -hmm. And it could tell you like, this is your ovulation date. And so around the day you ovulate is obviously a good time to have sex. So we know that sperm can stay in the female reproductive tract for a few days. Some say people say around up to five days. Wow. Yeah. So I think people think like, I should have sex on the day I'm ovulating. But it's actually like the few days leading up to it are good times to have sex. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I usually tell people like if I ovulate on day 18, starting on day 13, to try to have sex every day or every other day. I think a lot of people love okay. the every other day plan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, speaking from girlfriends I've talked to, they're like, every other day, please. Because when you're trying, it just seems like a chore. Yeah, you know? and it's exa- <laughs> it's a chore and it's exhausting. And it's like, oh my gosh, I have to yeah, tie my whole life yeah. around my ovulation. Yeah, And so every day or every other day, starting about five days before you ovulate. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's hard though. And do you just stop on day 18? You're like, all right, I'm done. Cutting you off because at this point, anything is, is not going to work anyway. Or do you continue just for extra? Yeah, I recommend that people usually do, let's say your capacity to have sex every day is like four days in a row. Like, I would maybe start like three days before you ovulate and then do like one day after. Yeah. Just because gotcha. our bodies, even people who have like perfect regular cycles, like our bodies don't read the textbook. Sometimes you ovulate a day early, mm-hmm. a day late. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. having sex a day or two after you ovulate 
can also be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a mistake we made because I didn't know this knowledge Mm -hmm. and I think we were doing it on the day of. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until maybe a few months in, we were like, okay, what if the app is wrong? I was like, what if this app is not right? And we should be doing it like right after my period. And so we started doing it right after I stopped having my period. And then we finally got pregnant. So I don't, everyone's like slightly different. Sometimes your period shifts a day, like you said, right? Your ovulation shifts a day. So that's a good trick to just start five days early every other <laughs> yeah five days early every other for like a week yeah. I think it's yeah. manageable for a lot of people if you have questions about like your cycle or you have irregular cycles it's good to talk to a doctor if you are tracking your cycles and you're like this is weird like bring that data to your doctor and say like this is what I have mm-hmm. and then there are, and there's also those um op- predictor those kits. ovulation sticks yeah 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 OPKs ovulation predictor kits they test for a level of your hormone that spikes when you ovulate. It's important to look at the kit itself and see what it's telling you because some kits might say like this is going to be positive when you're ovulating or like this is going to be positive like a day or two before you ovulate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you know what positive means for that. Mm-hmm. And then the other mm-hmm. caveat to give is if you do have PCOS, which we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that hormone that they measure can be a little bit elevated all the time. So those can be mm-hmm. falsely positive for ovulation. So that's another reason to talk to your doctor if you have PCOS and you are thinking of starting a family. Awesome. Well, do you have any other advice for any couples who are looking to conceive this year? Yes. And I think it's don't forget about the men. <laughs> I feel like fertility, for medical reasons, men should make sure they are also optimizing not smoking, um, not using any other substances, things like that. And I think that there's a lot of supplements out there that men take nowadays, get swole or whatever at the gym. And I think to be really mindful that some of those have not been studied in how they affect affect fertility or have been shown to affect fertility. So make sure that kind of are looking into that. Oh, wow. Are there any ingredients that you would blacklist for that? No, any off the top of my head. I usually tell patients if their partner is on a lot of supplements that they should consider just stopping them. Mm-hmm. It's not only like, are there health reasons to get the your partner or whoever is providing sperm involved in the fertility journey, but also it if you have a supportive partner, I think it can make a world of difference because this can be really mentally challenging and emotionally difficult Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And so I think kind of making sure that you have or trying your best to have like a healthy, solid partnership and doing whatever helps you um, maintain that healthy relationship as you go through this fertility journey is something that I would advise most people to be mindful of. Be forgiving to yourself, be forgiving to your partner, and hopefully you'll have something to celebrate at the end. So that's all I'd have to add. Thanks so much for joining our show today. I really like that advice. I feel like it makes a difference knowing that you're on this journey together with your partner and not feeling like it's necessarily one person's fault or the other, but it's it's a goal, right? It's a group goal. So mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that to the attention. I, I do think in heterosexual relationships, men definitely have a role to play mm-hmm. and I mean, funny story. Maybe we'll cut this out. Maybe we'll keep it. But my husband was going to the sauna like every other day. 
And it wasn't until he stopped that he was like, oh, was that the reason? We'll never know. We'll never know if it was because we stopped following the app or if it's because he stopped going to the sauna. But you kind of have to just trial and error. And anyone who I know who's embarking on this journey, I try to tell them not to take it too seriously because I think once you do, it stops becoming fun. Mm-hmm. I, I know some people struggle with it. So obviously I don't want to be insensitive, but I also feel like for people who are just starting out, if you put too much pressure on yourself and you get too bogged down with every period, I think it could really mess with your mental health and just make other things worse. So I think that's a really great message. So thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're listening, thank you for supporting our show. If you are interested in more articles and information on things fertility, motherhood related, please check out www.amaandco.com or follow us on our Instagram. See you next time. Mm